Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Joining me this evening, Kimberly. Hey there. And Sean, Mac, whatever. Hey. Whatever is good. Whatever is good. Okay, whatever. And Ian. Good evening, people. Also that guy. <laughs> and uh, welcoming back, Misty is joining us this evening as well. Hello. How is everybody doing? Doing really Survive good. Survived the weekend. Okie dokie. Surviving is... The first step. Well, it was Mile High Con weekend, so it was a pretty active weekend for me. It was, and, it, and your kids won some awards. Yeah, uh, it was actually pretty cool. Um, both Quinn and Hayden won first place in their age group for the costume contest. Um, Hayden was the fourth Doctor, and Quinn was a classic Cyberman from Doctor Who. So that was awesome. That's cool. And Kim, and oh, go ahead. Had some good panels. Um, met some people. I'm sure some of our fans were there, handed out a fair amount of cards, so hopefully we'll get some new fans from that as well. Very good. And Kimberly put out a podcast. I did, um, for my new business, Rational Resolution. It's a mediation firm, and I started a new podcast called The Mediation Conversation. So you can either go to www.rationalresolution and find ways to sign, uh, subscribe there or just search for it on iTunes. We did the first one on a program a friend of mine started called the Pub Dialogues, which is kind of facilitated conversation so that you can keep political or really any kind of contentious discussions uh, between people uh, civil and really let people talk and explore ideas and stuff like that. So it was, I think it was really good. And, um, you know, kind of a little bit touches on the skepticism because, you know, you need to bring your, uh, your A game of evidence to those kind of presentations, think rationally and uh, be able to have these conversations. No, actually, I, I thought it was quite relevant because one of the things that we spend a lot of time doing is, is arguing and trying to argue our points. And, uh, and I, I think the idea of having a mediator, you know, to, to help, you know, clarify points and stuff like that is a, is actually a really good idea. We should have more probably trained mediators for these kinds of events. Yeah. He calls them facilitators, right. but as we talked in there, it's, it's a lot of overlap. So it did seem very similar, but yeah, a facilitator, yeah. somebody, you know, to make sure that one side isn't, um, over dominating the other and keeps things kind of balanced as far as letting people have talk time. Yeah. So, Misty, yeah. you got anything going on? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I just been traveling a lot because of work. So excellent. And Mac, you, have you put on another podcast? I actually put out two in the last couple of weeks. We did a podcast for Troll Hunter, which is a Norwegian movie and all subtitled. And uh, last week, we did a podcast for a movie, an absolutely fantastic movie called The Perfect Host, um, starring David Hyde Pierce. And I, I don't, most of the other people were lesser known actors, but the, the basic storyline is that a bank robber works his way, you know, basically enters a house under false pretenses of this man who's getting ready for a dinner party. And it goes badly for one of them, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I went and saw Looper. Oh, that yeah? was a fun movie, wasn't yeah, it? That is a that fun movie. That was a movie. good movie. Yeah, it is. It was a. Um, I got exactly what I expected from it. It was. It was excellent. Yeah, um, Gordon Levitt is just such an amazing actor. Uh, I I actually finally went around, got around to seeing Batman this weekend and uh, the new one, The Dark right. Knight Rises or whatever. And and he was awesome in that too. I mean, he's just. He just never fails. Uh, another great movie with him, not on a sci-fi theme, but amazing acting is 50-50. I would definitely recommend that one, too, if you 
if you want to check it out. But yeah, I mean, to go back to Looper, I, that was more fun than I expected it to be, and I was expecting to have some fun with it. Oh, good. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it was great. So Mac, when, being a when, fan of Bruce Willis, he had that down really well. Yeah. 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 So Mac, when you when when does that podcast come out for Looper? Uh, when that one comes out on DVD, we'll probably pick that up to watch it. All right. You need an RSS feed. I'm shaming you publicly. I have actually created an RSS feed on my blog. Can I? Well, but is it for the blog, or can I download? Will it? Will I get your podcasts? It's for the blog. I haven't figured out how to make it for the podcast alone yet. Okay, you need that. And by the way, RSS doesn't actually spell anything. It just spelled Bruce. Bruce. Well, the only reason that I knew that Kimberly had put out a podcast was because I put her RSS feed into my, you know, into my downloader, so it just automatically was in there. So I, you know, uh-huh. I didn't have to think about it. It was just there. It was magic. It's not magic. It's not magic. <laughs> <laughs> this whole podcast is dedicated to the fact that it's not magic. All right, all right. You got me on that one. All right, Kimberly, let's have some announcements. Sure. Uh, we've got coming up on Wednesday the 24th, probably the day this comes out, I'm guessing. Mikey Weinstein is going to be talking about religion in the military in Colorado Springs. Um, we've talked about him before. He was a really engaging speaker, so I would definitely suggest that one if you can make it. On Friday the 26th, the Pikes, Pikes Peak Skeptics down in Colorado Springs are doing a Halloween-themed game night. On Saturday the 27th, I'm hosting with uh, the Humanists of Colorado, the Secular Hub, and the Denver Atheists, the National Day of Doing Good. Um, and I'm going to spend a minute on this one if I can. We're going to be doing a cleanup as uh, at the Commons Park. That's the one that's just north of REI, I-25, and... I think spear, I guess. Um, so we're gonna do a we're gonna do a cleanup there. We're gonna meet over at the Starbucks REI at 8:45 and then get to work around 9:30. So if you can't get up that early, you can still come out and meet us at uh, 19th and Platt. We'll be around where we get started. The Denver Parks Department is providing all the tools, so just basically dress appropriately and you'll be fine. We're really hoping to get some good numbers out there and really kind of show that the uh, the atheists are out in the community and doing good works and part of it and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Sunday the 28th, the Pikes Peak Skeptics has their secular Sunday brunch at the East Side Paneras at 9.30. And then I guess the Colorado Skeptics are, I'm guessing, at the same Panera? No, this is a different one in Lone Tree yeah. um, at 11. Um Anyway, uh, nobody's doing anything on the on Halloween. I guess we know not to mess with those evil forces. But picking <laughs> it back up on Saturday, November third, Cocor is doing Parenting Beyond Belief, raising kids without religion. Anybody with kids, that's a really important topic. And then finally, Sunday, November eleventh, the Humanists of Colorado are going to have our friends Brian and Baxter from the Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society at our monthly meeting. So they're always just a hoot and fun and uh, come out for that. It'll be a, a good time. That's all I got for right now. All right. I'm raising birds without religion. Does that count? Yes. As long as they continue to not believe. Yeah. <laughs> well, they may. I, I, it's entirely possible that Tango believes in the Mayan parrot god. I'm not sure. He may actually believe he is the Mayan parrot god. And I actually, he has some evidence to his credit on that one. You sound kind of like you might be buying that one too i have not seen the evidence yet so i'll withhold judgment <laughs> all right kimberly tell us about uh who was paul coots 
Kurtz? Paul Kurtz. Paul Kurtz. Yeah, uh, Paul Kurtz was a uh, major player in the humanist movement. He did a lot of the writings that, that were the basis of the humanist manifestos. Uh, as we talked about on a previous episode, they've been through a lot of different edits and uh, and changes in publications. But Paul Kurtz did a lot of that work. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away on Sunday. So I just wanted to give a uh, let people know there's a great obituary uh, from the Center of in- Center for Inquiry out there. I've included that in the show notes. So. All right. Ian. It's still got a few months left on it, so I'll push my story yet again. Uh, go to the fifth D. Uh, my story is The Path of Evolution. Um, check it out in Jordan. I hope you'll vote for me because I, I kind of love winning things myself. <laughs> so. <laughs> vote for me because I like to win. Yeah. Hey, I'm being honest. <laughs> Yes, and you are. then the other thing I have, I finally I got to be on Dumbass Podcast, which means he now has gotten the co- whole collection of major players for amateur skeptics. All four of us have been on there now. This okay. hasn't been there. Well, she's she's not a major player for our podcast yet. Oh yeah, let, you know what? Insult her while she's right there. She's a reoccurring guest. Not a <laughs> I can hear problem. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dumbass, if you're listening, Misty's awesome and cool. Get yes. Show. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But he's also starting up a new one. Well, he started up already called Worlds of Impotabilities, and I figured I'd promote that because I'll, um, he's already been talking to me about being on a future one because that one deals with writing stuff. Really? So, yeah. Hmm. Um, he has about three. They're interesting to listen to. Um, I agree with his views on Tolkien and Harry Potter for the most part. So. Okay. Uh, check them out, listen to them. They were actually quite interesting, and I'm looking forward to being on one of that. And this is actually him, not part of his media empire? Right. This is um, his okay. – Impotability is one of his podcasts. Okay. Um, this this Tolkien guy, he's the guy who's doing the the uh, the novelizations for the movies of Lord of the Rings stuff, right? Boy, his writing's <laughs> just super dry. They could have gotten Alan Dean Foster for that. <laughs> He's the guy who's ripping off Dungeons and Dragons just left and right. It's unbelievable. He just steals yes. straight from the like the Monsters Manual. Unreal. That is pretty frustrating, I have to tell you. Yeah. And he got his trolls totally wrong because they're supposed to regenerate. All right. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Don't hate on me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I, I'm. I didn't get most of it, so I'm clearly not a big enough geek. Tolkien bores me. That, that's pre- been pretty much the consensus from everyone I've talked to recently. <laughs> you know, Tolkien created, Tolkien wrote some amazing things for his time. And at the time, they were the only thing that was out there that was like this. But since that time, people have been inspired by him and have done amazing things. Okay. Some of those things have actually been far more entertaining. And, you know, uh, Jackson took the world that Tolkien created and he made it exciting. Yes. Which is a beautiful thing. Yep. You did a good job. All right. So Kimberly got to go see Richard Dawkins. I did. I even got to meet the man in person. That, and, I know. I uh, saw the picture, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should, I, I, I'll get it uploaded to the site if anybody. All right. Wants to, wants to drool, whatever. Um, <laughs> it was very fun though. We got, we had like a little, uh, what do you call it? Party, I guess, before the, the speech over at the Mackey. He's a really nice guy. He's extremely shy. Uh, not what you'd expect from, you know, the basically this flaming sword of atheism. But uh, he was just really sweet and uh, just a little goopy and geeky. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was a lot of fun getting to meet him. His uh, presentation was on one of his new books, The Magical or The Magic of Reality. Or Yeah, it's, it's, The Magic of Reality is his kid's book. 
Yeah, and it's it's basically designed for that. Um, I guess a tween set, if you will. Yeah. You know, probably too young if you're in single digits, but you want to get it early in the double digits. And he takes basically a lot of those notions that people have about different things in science and really explains them. He uses mythology to kind of counterpoint what some people seem to believe is out there and then puts the hard science behind it, but in a creative and uh, the art's amazing. He talked a lot about um, taking like evolution and really kind of understanding how that works. He, he used a new, for me anyway, new concept to explain it, talking about how every generation of, of your ancestors, you know, basically had children that were of the exact same species that they were. But it's, it's that length of time that just really is amazing and, and is how specia- species, speciation? Uh, sorry, I can never say that word right. Uh, occurs, and he he had a really great little graphic example of it. So I'm planning on picking it up. I thought it was a lot of fun. And, yeah, I read uh, it a while it was a good ago. Presentation. Yeah, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. I'm amused at the moment at the fact that you referred to Richard Dawkins as a flaming sort of atheism, which is actually a, a biblical metaphor. <laughs> I was using the uh, the Tolkien plus five flaming sort of. Uh, okay, I see. My <laughs> first thing I thought was the the angel guarding the gates of the Garden of Eden was given unto him a flaming sword which turned all ways. So, Perhaps subconsciously, that's exactly what I was really trying to say. I'm not possibly. sure. Possibly, yeah. But anyway, but it amused me. He was, it was it was just a really it was great to get the chance to meet uh, somebody who's a hero of yours. Um, and you know, I got to do a lot of that with the convention back in September as well. And just that realization that these are all just these are all just regular human beings. They're they're in this because this is what moves them. This is what they're passionate about. And uh, but they're regular people. You could you could meet them kind of on the streets, and they wouldn't necessarily strike you as somebody who was like history changing and yet i think a lot of them in a lot of ways really are so all right are we ready to talk about the boy scouts are you ready am i ready i am i'm so ready you sound fired up you know yeah it's just and i I think this i hope is coming to a head right and that something can be done but they are private organization but just so recently there there's three things that have happened um the first one a gentleman named uh ryan anderson uh, he is a gay teenager, 17 years old, was denied his Eagle Scout because he is gay. Because of the anti-gay policies of the Boy Scouts, he was denied, you know, something that he'd been working towards. And this one, this is the one that has the petition for it, right? Yeah, but okay. Well, well no, still, I, I, I signed it myself as an Eagle Scout, as an atheist, as an adult presently active in scouting. I, I put all that in because there's a place to, to put stuff like that. But, and I made sure to make that all clear. I am an Eagle. Both of my boys are active in scouts right now. I am an atheist. And, you know, I, I, I need to make clear there is a body of people that very much are, you know, banding together who are, who, um, are all for scouts in general. But they, they, they um, want to see these policies changed. And that is, I, I think, that bringing this to the forefront and having such a petition is a great start. I just think the petition's in the wrong place because the government can't do anything about it. What, the are they petition- nonprofits? Uh, uh, yes. No. Are they? Yes. Oh, they are? Because they're a nonprofit and they also meet in government buildings pretty much constantly for uh, usually rent that would not be accessible to any other organization. So you're absolutely oh. right that they're a private group that the government cannot 
have an effect on their policies directly. However, they could have an extreme effect on not accepting this crap. Okay, but if if they are a nonprofit, then um, that they could that could be different, couldn't it? I think so because then you start falling on uh, anti-demonstration acts and whatnot. Right. They you can't have a nonprofit membership organization because church is a nonprofit and they can discriminate quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That's true, so, and they do. Uh, yeah. Membership can be can be limited, but like you yeah. say, where the 501c3s or just anybody using government, effectively using government funding, and I do say, I, I, I mention effectively because I don't know that they're actually receiving grants or any kind of money like that, but because of this preferential treatment that they've enjoyed, they are basically getting government funds indirectly. Yeah. Well, but, that, um, okay. I, I didn't get the impression the petition was going government-wise. I got the, petition, the, uh, the impression the petition is going to be sent to the Boy Scouts saying, hey, look. You know, isn't that what Change.org is for, though? Isn't that – I think it's just for any petition for anything? in general. It's, yeah. And okay. they need – oh, they're, they're almost to 500,000. They need 85,000, 760,000 more people. So they're over four-fifths of the way there. Does it say who they're petitioning on that? They're petitioning Troop 212 San Francisco Bay Area directly into this. Okay. Okay. So maybe, so, okay. Maybe this is more, um, yeah. I mean, but they, I don't, I don't know. You know, they can, they can have all the petitions that they want. They don't have to change their positions. But it's still getting a very clear message out there. I think that, and and that's great. Hold on a second. I think that even if this petition goes through with, you know, however many thousand, I guess 500,000 people on it. Even if that petition goes through with 500,000 people on it, that doesn't mean that Troop 212, even if they get these 500,000 signatures, can go against the policies of the organization that, right. that they get their, that they get their, their stuff from. So. Right. But it'll help the troop, you know, hopefully the troop will stand up for it. And hopefully it'll start a, um, you know, light a fuse basically. Okay. And say, okay, you know, it has to start some way like this. You have to get, um, the message out there. And. I, my concern is you outed yourself on this petition as being a atheist Eagle Scout. Uh-huh. Doesn't that mean that they come and like strip your eagle off your shoulders, uh, break your no, they, break your saber over their knee? No, they can't. Um, I could. I a bunch of um, atheist and gay Eagle Scouts are sending their eagles back in, and that I don't think. Well, you know, I respect them for doing that. I what I've seen, I, the Boy Scouts are ignoring that. To them, it's um, having no effect. So, um, I, I mean, my, I'm an atheist eagle. My wife's cousin, he is a a homosexual eagle scout. Um, they're going to be stripping his eagle off his shoulder and breaking his saber too. Yep. (laughs) But okay. So the next one, ceremony, the next one, um, and this one isn't in the United States. This one is, uh, in, in England. Um, an atheist, an 11 year old atheist was denied entry into the scouts because he wouldn't swear to God and queen. Okay, that's an entirely different organization, right? But this could happen here. It could. Uh, I don't think we have a. It has. I, I think it has happened here, and and I couldn't find one right away. But I think that that this is not the first time that we've had issues with scouts and atheists either. Oh, it's not. And um, some of it becomes um how the troops themselves deal with it. In my case, I'm not sure if my scoutmaster knew. My parents knew I wasn't a case at the time I got my eagle, but I don't know if my scoutmaster knew or not. Uh, he definitely knew we were not religious because uh, you do have to have a relig- religious leader reference letter. 
In my case, it was a friend of my mom's who came over and talked to me. And at no point did I did I say I believed in God. At no point did I say I believed in anything I didn't believe in. But we talked about um, faith stuff, and you know, he wrote the letter. At no point did, in the letter did he say I was a person of um, that believed in God. He just said I, you know, he, his impressions of me, what he thought were my strengths and stuff like that. Um, when I did my Eagle Court of Honor or my Eagle Board of Review, I'm sorry, um, so they are, could have asked me then. Um, if I believed in God, and you, you hear stories about them getting to that point and being asked, "Okay, do you believe in God?" and just straight out saying no, and not getting the um their eagle because of that. So I had been, you know, saying, "Okay, I'm not going to say I believe in God if I don't." I will explain to them that if you want to have a belief in God, um, my concepts of what God could be and what I believe in and how that could be interconnected and perceived as a belief in God. Weasel. I actually kind of looked into, thought about uh, that argument. That is so slippery. Yeah, but and, and did you uh, did you actually do the task to get your sophistry badge in the scouts? <laughs> but anyways, so they could have asked me, but they didn't. So I don't know, you know, I, and I know I had a good relationship with my scoutmaster, so it is quite likely that he knew better and said, I'm not going to bring it up because I don't want, you know, I, I, I like this boy. I want to make sure he gets to eat. Yeah, so that brings me to my next story about liking dad, boys. That and your dad slipped him 20 bucks. On. <laughs> yeah. But there's a fair amount of certain troops that say, no, we don't, we're not going to push those requirements because, you know, we, we know these boys, we know the qualities they have, and we know that they, they, whether or not they believe God, we know that they are the kind of boys we want in scout. So there's definitely a level where, regretfully, it's not all through the organization, but individual troops do follow a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy where they, you know, don't push it. They leave it up to the boys to have their own level of spirituality, wherever that falls, and, you know, will let anyone in as long as they show the true qualities of scouts. But isn't part of that a belief in God? No. You can look through it. There is nothing within the scout law. Or, it mentions God, but not specifically say you have to believe God. If you look at the the fundamental underlying principles of scouts, God is in Tricky, and of itself is not clean, there. honest, brave, reverent. Okay. They accept other religions too. You, you, yeah. They let multiple religions join. Right, but it, uh, but Buddhists it, are allowed. Buddhists don't believe in God. Yeah, uh, that's um, not necessarily true. Buddhists can believe in God, but Many of them in do. and of itself is not a belief in God. You can be a Buddhist and not believe in God. Yeah, but you also you still end up believing in some sort of spiritual energy. So not all Buddhists. Okay, many. Oh, and um, in the video with the kid from Britain, he believes that atheism is a religion. Yeah, well, let's so he's uh, you bang know what? right along the rest of you. No, he he's he's just he, it isn't a religion and. I'm going to let that go because he's 11 years old. We can straighten him out. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> well, it depends on what your definition of religion is because there's philosophers that have been debating that for decades. So. Well, I, I, I think it's got to include a deity. Uh, no, that, that I would definitely argue with you on. I don't think. And that's why some people don't think Buddhism should be considered a religion. <laughs> well, exactly. Or Confucianism or Taoism. I've been confused for years and it's not a religion. <laughs> We've well, been aware of that. Shenism. Okay, never mind. But yeah, so the, the underlining principles of scouts, if you really look at while the um, scout oath does mention God, it doesn't specifically 
simply say you have to believe in it. And, you know, once more, the argument I was uh, ready to have for my Eagle Bard review, God is very subjective. And, you know, if you won't push a belief in God, define what you want it to be then. Because if you do that, you're losing about, you know, 95% of the population, which you're trying to find what God you're supposed to believe. True. Apparently they have some kind of declaration of religious principles. Yeah, I found and that now, kind of insulting, and that's not the underlying original founding stuff. That's something they've come up with. That's the, it was founded in the first decade of the organization, apparently. So there. I'm getting a lot of my information from Penn and Teller's really excellent episode of Bullshit on this. I'm assuming they do their research because they seem to have on other topics. But their stance is that a lot of the core beliefs of the of the Boy Scouts and kind of just how the organization's been run in recent years is, and this probably won't surprise anybody, because of the Mormons. They yeah. have basically infiltrated the organization like they've infiltrated so many others and have basically put their own rules and stuff like that. Now, I'm not claiming that they're forcing everyone to be Mormons, but they are they are they've got their own little code of ethics that they're they are enforcing yeah. to ian's point it is actually they're they are mormonizing you after you die well yeah sure um but you know again it's it's really insidious and i know it it, it kind of i, I kind of hear myself and realize that a lot of this really goes on the level of kind of wanting to reverse discrimination these people mostly from suffering at their hands so often well, it's not but, reverse discrimination it's it's all just discrimination okay but um, yeah, I I just think it's really kind of terrible how infiltrated the organization is. I you know we've mentioned this before. I was a Girl Scout for many years. I think scouting is an awesome way of getting the next generation to have those civic virtues that I think are way way transcendent of religion and even country, but important for good members of society to have. And I think again, Scouts could be an awesome organization for that. I think I think there's a little bit of corruption there, though, yeah. is and, my personal opinion on it. And Girl Scouts is. I mean, we've done stories where they've been accepting of transgenders. I mean, they and they've been very good on these issues. It's the yeah. Boy Scouts that have not. So buy, don't buy the popcorn, buy the cookies. Well, there was this that recent issue with that little transgender boy, and there was a huge fight over it. That was just yeah. last year. Yeah, right. We, we covered that. Yeah, we covered for, that. For Girl Scouts. Right, but the Girl Scout organizations came that they came down and said no, it's fine. It was people, other people in the organization that were, you know, there was other bigots that were not happy with the Girl Scouts making that choice, but they made the choice to in, be inclusive. And again, on so, that on that kind of system wide level, rather than the individual troops, because there obviously are other. You can have a very different experience from one troop to another yeah. in Boy Scouts, just like in Girl Scouts. But so, yeah, in that line, one, they, they were smart enough to come down on the total level as that that actions of the troop were unacceptable. Bottom line: If you're an atheist or a gay male, join the Girl Scouts. Exactly. All right. Now the next one. <laughs> Speak it, you know, we, we made reference to, you know, how much the scoutmasters like their, like their little scouts. Well, the Boy Scouts have been keeping records on those. And since, I guess, 1960, and I guess it's through current, I think they had to release records 1960 through 1985, where they have been tracking, um, where they, if they have, um, an issue, um, with, um, a molestation and stuff from, by a scoutmaster that they were removing the scoutmaster, which is great. 
um, but they weren't necessarily informing the um, the authorities on the matter. So, the, so uh, they were they were protecting their own organization, but they weren't helping to get the people off the streets and and away from other you know away from other places right. where they might be able to molest boys. Well, regretfully, I do know of one case where an adult leader within scouts did molest a scout. I'm not going to do any names or anything or the connections. I do know of one case where that did happen. Um, the scary thing is I do know of times where I was with that specific adult leader. He wasn't within my troop. He was actually from um, uh, the council level. So he um, would interact with us. And I did have interaction with the um, adult in question. Luckily, I don't think I was never actually alone with him per se. But after finding out about this, I did realize some of his behavior um, sort of bothered me more at the time, but I just didn't think about it. So, you know, it, it does happen. I this, um, Any adult leader in Scouts right now is made to, um, at minimum, take an online safety course where it explains you are never, ever, ever to be left alone with a boy. There will always be two adults. And no one single adult, non-family member, obviously, that, um, you know, it's never one, one adult member, one boy left alone. You have witnesses at all times. So they are at least trying to set up blockades for this happening yet. Yes, but my, I'm not, I, I appreciate it that they are protecting like they're trying to scouts. set up blockades for it happening. It, try, it sounds like they're trying to set up blockades for, it being reported. Right. And that's that and that is my problem. Yes, they are they are yeah. trying to get those um those people who have who have violated that trust out of the scouts and keep them from getting back in. That's great. That protects the scouts, but it doesn't deal with the actual problem. And they're covering and by and by covering these things up the way that they did, though they left those people on the streets to go and do that somewhere else. And and they couldn't get back into scouts fine and so they want to and so you know people are defending their policies by saying hey they were 80 years ahead of their time well that's just lovely but they didn't resolve any problems by by their policies so yeah they protected they protected the scouts but nobody else and it has it brings that same kind of oh go ahead misty (laughs) sorry they're kind of just following the godly way of handling that because that's exactly how the catholic church handles it as well and that's that's pretty much exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Is My this does troop. come from that idea of the hierarchy of you know the the organization is more important than any individual, and that they seem to think that they have the right to take a criminal violation and handle it their own way. And like you, like we kind of said here, in in some ways, for protecting those particular boys, they did the right thing. But in a larger sense, they don't get that they're not the authority on this. They don't get to decide what happens in a criminal case. It's supposed to be reported. It's supposed to be dealt with by the authorities. We live within a structure, and they seem to, to from their actions, suggest that they are somehow higher than that. Right now, one of the one of the they have another set of files that they are fighting not to release, and one of their one of their reasons that they give for not releasing them is that they that they want to keep these things confidential because that way people will continue to report them. Well, that's fine. You can keep the victims confidential but you have to give out the names of the people that are committing the crime to the authorities and and they and they say they want people to feel like they can come and tell them um and they should be able to but who are they who are they protecting i think that other set of files is the 
is the records of the people that were suspected of molestation who had uh, nasty accidents afterwards. <laughs> right. Well, they don't have the protection like the Catholic Church does, because supposedly the Catholic Church could say, well, this was revealed to me during a confession or something like that. The Boy Scouts do not have that same protection. So I would think that they could be considered almost like, you know, aiding and abetting a child molester kind of. Yeah. Now, going back to the religion thing real quick, I'm looking through uh, one page. It's apparently, the scouting of the scouts in Ireland, they do not have any religious requirement. Yeah, that and so they accept that, yeah, they, two different promises: one with God, one without. Okay, it's kind of interesting to see all the different ones. But just taking a look at let let you know about, uh, about the Boy Scouts of America, they have a problem. Yes, and. And yes, they are a private organization, and so they can discriminate, but they shouldn't be protecting molesters. So, but it comes back to one of those embarrassing things. Um, I, I, I think a big part of it is they want to try and dissociate themselves with it as much as possible. And you know, they've gotten. I, I remember The Simpsons had a um, retro radioactive man. Um, episode where we saw a radioactive man basically the, the old batman stuff but with the simpsons radioactive man and fallout boy and the um villain they were fighting was the scout master who was obviously you know gay and it was playing off of some of that stereotypes and um you know justified or not i bet part of the reason was they're saying well, we don't if, if we release this even if it's less than the average percentage of the population if we ha even have a couple cases that really get noticed, it's going to be bad for us. Okay, but here's I, I, hindsight being twenty twenty. Look at this: if they had dealt with these issues individually and upfront and appropriately, yep. it wouldn't be coming out now that there was a scandal. I agree. It, it was. I'm saying it's not justifiable. I, I think I understand some of the stuff they were trying for. It's not justifiable. It's stupid. It looks a huge mistake. It but, looks worse, and if they continue to cover this stuff up and not release those files, it looks even worse. They, they need to basically say, hey, let's stop acting like the Catholic Church and start you know, being responsible and standing up and saying, okay, we want to make it quite clear. We want changes. We want to do what is right. Right. Unfortunately, in any kind of power situation where human beings, you can do absolutely and you should do absolutely everything to protect the kids and make sure that they're in as safe place as possible. But will things slip through the cracks? Absolutely. And that's tragic and it absolutely needs to be dealt with. But with the Catholic Church and with the Boy Scouts, this idea that of covering it up makes a horrific situation even worse than it was. Right, and we're not and, and, looking... And in a case like this, it's hard yeah. to imagine how it could get worse. No, but and we're not looking at a case falling through the cracks here. We're looking mm -hmm. at cases that they knew about and, and kept quiet. Right. And that's the big problem here. And the, the other thing is, is that any sort of organization like this is going to have these problems eventually, but they have to, but they have to deal with them up front or, you know, or, or, or we shame them. Agreed. So, all right. Let's talk. I'm still keep my boys in scouts though. I think it has a lot of good stuff. You know what? I'm not, I would not argue that, that, that there, that there is some benefit there. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, like you say, from the outside or from the inside out, you can help to make some change, some difference and make things better. I hope that that's true. But I'm still, you know, when I go to the store and they're asking me to buy popcorn and stuff like that, and, and I'm being asked to support that organization, my answer is no. Yeah, I, I can see how it can be hard, and I don't, you know, I, I don't criticize you for that. So. All right. Let's go on and criticize somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some paranormal TV shows, shall we? 
Okay. Right. So this is actually kind of, I've I, I wanted to do this for a little while, but I figured since this will be our podcast this year that comes right before Halloween, it's perfect time to do it since, you know, they focus on ghosts and stuff. So it has the Halloween season feel to it. And honestly, um, paranormal reality TV shows are one of the scariest things out there. Um, the only scary thing right now I can think of is um, a possible Romney presidency. <laughs> Knock it off. Nice. But the, the existence and the popularity of these shows is very scary to me because they, most of them are really bad. So the first one we have here is probably the most famous. And, and, and probably the best of the group. I don't, know I don't think so. It, it, uh, uh, but it is the infamous Ghost Hunters. Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, the original well, no, Ghost Hunters, the original Ghost Hunters is not, you know, at least the two guys who are, who head the thing are actually trying. No, uh, I, I have trying to disagree. I disagree, I too. They started off trying, but then they realized they don't have to because the more, more times they come out and say, hey, look, it's paranormal, the more people love it. Mm. Okay, and I haven't so watched it in a while. The ones that I watched, it seemed like they were at least trying to look at the evidence and trying to be, uh, you know, trying to be relatively objective about now, it. One of the most insulting things I heard, I've heard a couple times by the one guy that just left, one of the guys just left and he had um, both on ghost hunters. And I think it was destination truth because he, they, they cross over since all sci-fi shows had said this horrible, horrible line. He said, well, if you can't come up with the um, uh, um, reasoning for it, then it must be paranormal. That's not true. He, he, it was something along that line. I'm sitting here. He's he said it a few times. And it's like no, okay. my God. You know that, that, uh, that if you can't me... come up if you can't come up with a reason for it, it may be inexplicable at that time. But that doesn't mean it's yes. paranormal. You know, we can. Within the first season of Ghost Hunters, they were faking their so-called evidence. Within the very first season. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, look, you look at the stuff they drop at. I mean. These really bad EVPs that sound like nothing. Oh, there we go. We have paranormal evidence. Oh, I, I got tingles down my spine walking through this room. Uh, well, yeah, no, that's yeah. That, that's one of my general criticisms about all of the shows is that yeah. when they see something or hear something, they assume it's real. And they do no further investigation to see where or what might have caused that or maybe, you know, if oh. they were seeing something oh. that wasn't there. Well, one of the more recent ghost touches I saw... They were in this castle. I think it was the castle. They were in a building. And in this one room, some people, primarily women, um, said they were being scratched. But the description wasn't a scratch. It was a burning. And are, they you, get are you talking Ghost Hunters or Ghost Hunters International? Because they, they are two different shows. Well, they're connected. I, 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 they're connected, but and they're, they're, very they're run very differently. Yeah. But uh, this was Ghost Hunters itself. But um, And one of the, the um, members on the team investigating was saying she was um, feeling it and she was describing it as burning sensation. Now the weird thing was, yeah, it was three stripes, but a burning sensation to me isn't scratch. That's a rash. And I know rashes. I, I have some issues with that. And my first thought there is, have they tried to sample the air in any way and see if there are pathogens that she might be allergic to in the air that are floating around? Because that, that was the first thing that popped in my mind. But they never think that way. They always go off on these stupid tents. Oh yes, the ghost has scratched you. Like, well, but the, there's patterns. Go the ahead. Ghost hunters in general or paranormal investigators have kind of started the way of parapsychology researchers. Um, they see that it's something that's not reproducible. You're not going to get the same thing. It's not going to perform on cue. And when you have a TV show, unfortunately, it does have to 
happen yeah. time and time again. So the guys that made Ghost Hunters, they had this show called Tap, or no, I'm not a show, a group called Taps. Yeah. That way back in 2000. The Atlantic knew, Paranormal Society, right. Yeah, I knew Grant and Jason back then. I used to talk with them. And then it was like, oh, great, they got a show. These are great guys. They have actually gone into places and debunked, found out that people were putting speakers in the ceilings and things like that, trying to fake hauntings. So it was really exciting. But then after a first couple of shows, you could immediately see that, okay, you know, they're, they're not going to have many seasons based on, oh, we debunked this, we debunked that. So things started happening, you, you know, and it's the same way that like, Ghost Adventures has done. You, like Ghost Adventures, you start to see possessions and all the stupid crap, and it's sensationalism. Yeah, on, I, on another one of the more recent episodes, I guess they have a, they had a pregnant woman on the team, and she was worried that her kid might get possessed by the spirits. I'm sounding like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, she was on the episode that I watched, too. They're wanting to be scientific, and they have a line like that that makes it into the final cut. No, that's not scientific. Here's some other general criticisms I have about all these shows. Number one, their their investigations are very short. They go into yeah. these places and they're there a night or two, and so they have about no idea. Forty-eight hours, right? Right, and they have no idea of what the baseline for for the area is. Like you know, they they walk around with their EVP meters and stuff like that. They have no idea what the you know what the magnetic fluctuations in that yeah. building well, are normally. So they have no way to know if if their readings are um, out of the norm. Well, our missing guest for tonight, Jason, I was going to give him a hard time on a few things since he's done this stuff. And so is Misty. His, well, but she's not part of Jason's group. It's okay. Give Misty a hard <laughs> I time. Was, I was yeah. at the, well, yeah, at the, the society at Metro. I was. <laughs> yeah, they had done some stuff at the Tivoli, which is a, um old brewery that's been turned into – it's now the student union. But they have a theater and a bar and stuff connected to it. Well, there is an area down below where they had hooked up equipment and they got some sound reading stuff. Well, this is an old building with pipes leading all around it that has a theater and a bar that are open late night. Like, did you investigate to see whether or not there was any correlation between when the theater and bar were active and when these sounds that could easily be traveling through the pipes and duct are popping into this basement area on the other side of the building? Because, you know, the connections like that are ignored. You know, I, I, Jason, I love you. You're a great guy. But I'll, um, the, your ghost tour, a lot of the stuff I heard, you, you ignored a lot of these possible connections about where where the building was and locations of things. Um, and I've, I've seen the same thing on these shows. Is they ignore possible connections like that to find out where the source is. Just because you're in a dark basement and are hearing noises does not mean those noises have to be coming from the room you're in. There are ducts, there are pipes, there are all sorts of things that will convey noises in odd ways. And guess what? If you're in a basement and hearing noises, it could be from across the street even. Yeah. Noises well, do travel that way. The first thing you do have to consider about these paranormal shows is why people go into this stuff in the first place. They, first of all, it's like a thrill seeking. Second of all, it's just to confirm what they believe. They're not actually out there to find the truth. It's just to confirm what they believe. So people go into paranormal groups for this reason and people watch these shows for this reason. Right. right. And sometimes it's just pure entertainment. That's mostly why I watch it. I don't expect well, to see any groundbreaking, yeah. you know, paradigm shattering evidence on these shows. Although I don't know about entertainment. 
once you've seen about two or three of the episodes, you've seen them all. The, the majority of these shows, you do not get anything new, if you ask me. I mean, Destination Truth is horrible about. Yeah. And Destination Truth is one I really hate because they overreact so much. I mean, I think they know. They say, okay, I want more time. If I overreact like a complete total idiot over the smallest sound and movement, I will not only um, be focused on, but I will be focused on both before and after the commercial break. Because if you look at that show, Every time, right before the commercial break, there is someone screaming their heads off over some shadow moving off in the corner. And they will scream like you know, little babies. Ah! And, I mean, these are adult men and women who are acting like the small little thing that moved is a giant monster coming at them the way they start screaming. But guarantee and, that they will have more screen time. And I'm going to want more evidence that that scream is like a baby. I'm going to need you to make a baby scream and record it so we can actually compare. <laughs> all right, let me move on to another general criticism I have of all these shows. All their investigations are taking place at night. Uh, um, well, the next one. Well, that's when the spirits come out. Well, see, yeah. but the, uh, I, who I, says? The night, thing, the night thing does seem to amplify it, I agree. Right, but wouldn't you, okay, but wouldn't you want to have a baseline during the day and a baseline at mm -hmm. night for comparison? Well, yeah, there's no logic okay. as to why ghosts come out at night. I, I've never heard the logic to that. I literally do have some type of rationalization for this. Okay, great. Okay. Okay, so if you're supposedly investigating a phenomenon that is very hard to capture in the first place and has so many variables, you need to control for as many variables as possible. Nighttime's usually quieter. There's usually less activity right. going on. So there, it does slightly make sense for that. Okay, as far okay, as that like does make the a energy lot of, of the sun and stuff like that, that's all bullcrap. But let's not. But it is true. They should see what it is happening in the daytime and see what's happening at nighttime too. And the other problem I have with this is that they they do this. I think. Not because of the reasons that you're bringing that might be reasonable. They're doing it because it's scarier right. and they're overloading Agreed. their <laughs> rational mind and they're, and they're letting their creative mind take over and fill in the blanks. And that's what I think that they're seeing a lot and hearing a lot of the stuff that they are is because it, because they're not, they're, they're so overwhelmed that any stimuli that they aren't expecting is going to spook them. Now, the next show I have on the list is one that I almost have respect fact or fake, fake because um, generally it's, it, it does seem like they're trying and normally, but they have a pattern. Normally the first segment they do, they show you that it's most likely either faked or misinterpreted stuff. They show you right. this is what could have caused it. It's almost always the first segment and they show this is what happened. Now it takes them forever. I mean, these people have to be idiots to take that long to get most logical thing and they've done i mean one of the first ones they did had an old i I'd heard the old legend beforehand but it had to do with um the ghost the, the, the ghost of these children killed in a train accident will push your car um uphill across the train track right i saw so that first, episode too yeah, my first thought was okay it's an optical illusion of the landscape you if you put your car in neutral you really are just rolling downhill it took them 20 minutes of the show, which means they probably a day of their time to get around and say, hey, why don't we just try that? They went to uh, all these complicated ways to do it instead. When Actually, you know, and I think what they were what they're trying to do is I think when they walk you through all these different tests, I think they're actually trying to actually teach a little bit of scientific method. And that's why they go through things. So agreed. Slowly. I think it's yeah. it's better that they go through multiple. Yeah, well, um, I understand why they have to. Something. But so many times I've seen to me what the simplest one is, is the one they take forever to get to. Mm -hmm. Probably because then, OK, that's probably the right one. We're going to do all these more complicated ones first. For one thing, we have to have something to put up there. If we just did the simplest one and proved it 
it wrong in five minutes, it wouldn't be much of a show. Well, they are trying to tell a story. I did also find it kind of interesting in that particular one that they weren't able to find any information about these these children killed in the train accident anywhere near there. Yeah, that goes into the the legends thing. You know, some of these stories have nothing to do with the location. Go ahead, Misty. You go (laughs) ahead. um, My my biggest criticism is the fact that they do the same thing that ghost hunting groups do. They show these people at the beginning and they say, this person is our scientist. This person is that. And then I got on their website to start seeing the credentials of these people. (laughs) Their so-called scientist is like a videographer or something. It's like, don't try to give me illusion yeah. of expertise when there is none. Right, and one of the people in Factor Fake is supposed to have been with the FBI, right? But at least when they really yeah, do which, seem to be Yeah, which, how are we going to check that out? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but at least with Factor Fake, they seem to be not just jumping onto the paranormal bandwagon. They have declared a few things paranormal, which I watched that you guys didn't investigate that very well. I can just write off. But in general, they're one that actually do show how, you know, a much more logical thing of, you know, what is really happening. Right, but they you always. Jael is from Destination Truth, right? One yeah. of them is from Destination Truth. Okay. One of the guys on the show, yeah. yeah. The thing that the thing that we need to look at on all these shows, though, is that these shows are not reality TV. These shows are reality TV. <laughs> but it is reality to millions of people in all yeah. honesty, right? Because they accept that as being true experience. But the... it has to be entertaining for TV, and it has to build up. It has to build up a mystique, and it has to build up conflict, and it has to build up mystery. And that's what bring, brings sponsors, and that's what brings people back show after show. You know, you were talking fact or fake. The first segment, almost almost universally, the first segment is proved to be is proved to be faked, and then the second statement, they can't explain it. Yeah, they've and never proven like, it to be fact ever. But I saw one episode of that where they disproved both things, and I was absolutely blown away. But in almost all cases, they go with one that they can explain and one that they can't. The other thing that these shows are all doing now is that they're all using a lot of high-tech equipment. You know, um, they're using thermal cameras, EVP meters, thermal gauges, and a lot of this stuff they are not properly trained on. And I don't think that they're using um, the way that these things are meant to be used, and they don't understand the equipment well enough to understand. Yeah. Like with uh, the EMF meters, there are two types of EMF meters, and and I don't think that they know which one they're using at any one time, and w- and what the difficulties are. The other thing is that you know they're they're measuring EVPs and they're running around with radios. Yeah. Or, or EMFs, really- right? And maybe you can explain what the trimeter is and what that measures. No, I can't because I've never worked with it. <laughs> Because okay. I think it's bullcrap. Because you think it's bullcrap. The next three shows listed here are the ones that we actually were having to debate ahead of time as to which one is the worst of all. You have Haunted Collector. Still, my, my vote is still in on Haunted Collector. Paranormal State. That's my vote. Which I think was Brian's. Yep. And then Legend Quest, which was mine. And these are just horrible, horrible, horrible in every way imaginable. I mean, um, Legend Quest, I think I might have heard about but never watched. I watched them today. And the first one I watched was looking for Excalibur. And the host of the show basically was pulling crap out of his ass. Seriously. He first off he said, Okay, we have to find the tomb of King Arthur. Hold on a second. Did he actually did he actually pull the sword out of his ass? Because that would imply that his ass (laughs) is either a lake or a rock. He pulled crap out. I I wasn't you know going to look at it too much. I pull crap out of my ass all the time and that's not a feat. That's actually not that's actually not T V worthy as it turns out. Anyways (laughs) He assumed he has no logic, no facts, nothing to back it up. But he said this would, this is probably the um, 
resting place of King Arthur. He doesn't even have proof that King Arthur lived, but he doesn't need that either. Then he finds a statue of a lion, and that's enough for him to say, oh, this is a link to King Richard. And he goes from there, and he just keeps saying, oh, this has to be linked to this. Nobody else ever used a lion motif. Yeah. And, I mean, the whole thing, that's all it was, was I am making these links up as I go to justify the story I had already plotted out. That's exactly what it sounded. He had already plotted the whole story out. I don't think any of this was, oh, look, there's a lion. I think he'd actually been, I got the impression he had been there before, saw the lion, and said, okay, this is the script I'm going with. And I, of course, uh, because they're not so going to go in their impromptu. No. Yeah. I watched part of his quest for the Holy Grail, which apparently took him to Washington, D.C., according yeah. to the previews. But I watched part of his quest for the Holy Grail, and I'm sitting here going, okay, so what you're saying is, if I may, you know, interpret a little bit, it sounds like what happened is you did, you probably took some peyote and you watched <laughs> The Da Vinci Code and National Treasure on the same night. <laughs> and these have blurred together in your mind. Well, I could level. see that. I was actually thinking that myself. It felt a lot like um, National Treasure when he got to the U.S. Right. And, and in know, the end, in the end, apparently the um, Holy Grail was melted down to be made into um, the miniature replica of the Statue of Liberty's torch. That's the, that's okay. the conclusion he came to. Yeah, you know, he, he it's the Illuminati, uh, duh. Yeah, he yep. isn't. He isn't verifying each fact as he goes. He's, He's taking a lot of stuff at all, right? Like even with like the King Arthur stuff, we don't know that there was a King Arthur. That whole thing appears to be complete legend, but he took it as complete fact in order to go looking for this relic. Sure, there was a sure there was a historical King Arthur. I saw the movie, <laughs> right? But there was no Knights of the Round Table, you know, on and on and on, you know, of stuff that's completely unverifiable about that whole mythos. And yet, damn it, he was a Roman general. He took it all on faith that it existed, that it actually happened. He he didn't, you know. He, so there was no underlying foundation to work with from the beginning on either of them. Well, but what you have to recognize about all this kind of stuff anyways is that if they did base it on fact, these would not be popular shows. It would be boring. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Paranormal State, um, are they, they are a, a college group that, and, uh, and the guy who, who started it, you know, had always been plagued by these paranormal things. And so now he's out to help other people. And you know, if you rearrange the letters in Paranormal State, it spells, I find demons everywhere. Uh, and I, uh, that is true. The letters aren't quite There's there. There's no Y in there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly what was happening is that they were, they're running around making all these loose connections and they include Chip Coffee. Chip Coffee is, he is John Edwards quality douchebag. He, I mean, he, I don't think that. He's he, and, and so, you know, he's walking through the place, the demons talking to him. It's, it is by far the most theatrical of all of them. You talk about Destination Truth, you know, they, them, you know, like, you know, going around. They get to this point where, um, the, whoever the head guy is, he's gonna combine these two techniques to try and deal with this, um, with this, uh, demon. And, and two people in the group go, no, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. We won't help you. You can kick us out of the group, but we won't do it. And then in the end, of course, they, they're like, oh, well, he's trying to help somebody. We'll help him do it. It's like, oh. So you're saying they cross the streams? 
they crossed the streams. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. You know, as a as a fan of B horror, I love watching paranormal stuff. Do you like, really? As <laughs> dramatic as that, because it's very. I, there are sometimes at chip coffee, I seriously have to pause what I'm watching and laugh <laughs> because it is so hilarious. It's over dramatic, and it's like they purposely pause at certain times, and well, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and they're they, not affiliated with the college anymore. If you watch oh, their intro now, they no longer okay. say Penn State. Okay, so is but, there an associated drinking game with? this one oh, there should be i think that they're guilty of um of messing with the timing of things to make things no. coins coincide that probably weren't i don't like what you're suggesting you, you don't like what i'm suggesting yeah it's, it's totally legitimate yeah so it, it got my vote for the worst but I understand I'm that going with, I'm still going with haunted. Well, collector. tell us about okay. haunted collector. Give us your defense on it. Um, white source. I, I guess I really it's... can't because I didn't make it through a whole episode. <laughs> I, I can understand that though. I, 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 one thing I saw in one of the episodes I saw was they were in a, a museum that was in the South that was supposedly haunted and they found what they decided. Well, every episode, they, they don't necessarily have proof that the items they find are haunted, but it's kind of what they decide is. One you episode think? was a broken Ouija board. <laughs> and I, I remember the scene, they find the Ouija board in the attic and they drop it suddenly and it breaks and they call the guy and say, is there a danger from a broken Ouija board? Don't touch it. And they had to come in. Oh, but this one that in the museum, they found a collar thing that was used in the slaves coming in, you know, when they were sl- selling slaves. You know, slaves would be given one of these so they could be identified, basically kind of like you do with cattle. Um, apparently that was having a conflict with the KKK robes they had down there. <laughs> they had a set of KKK robes. And so they're thinking, well, those are how many hundreds of years apart? And somehow the slaves going to recognize the KKK robes as being against it? Okay. Yeah. And the you know, the, 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 but they do stuff like that. They come up with these weird connections. Why these items aren't going to get along, and the ghost haunts associated with them are the problem and stuff. So we need to. I mean, the, I basically, I think the guy just goes and says, "This is kind of a cool little artifact. This is what I want. I'm going to say this is haunted just so I can add it to my collection." I, you know, here's my here's my main objection to the haunted collector. They do not use Farnsworths. They do not use Teslas. And they're not in the Secret Service. Yeah, okay, not everything Absolute can be warehouse practice. thirteen. Yeah. Yes. So it's like it's like they crossed warehouse thirteen with with a ghost hunting show, and there we are. But do they ever really not find an item? Do they ever go to a place no, and say, always, "Yeah, they we always see them find yeah. an item." And once more, I've never seen them once actually provide real proof that it does anything. Although apparently, every time they take an item off, the haunting stops or dies down. Yeah, the activity you know goes away, and, which could know, be placebo like, effect. Easily. Yes, I, I believe. Well, with paranormal state, every they end every episode with cleansing the house, going through room to room, blessing it, telling the spirits to go away, and ta-da! You know, the people who live there feel more comfortable and report that the activity has died down. Well, in the one that I was watching, they had to go back to somebody's house, and it was a new, more powerful demon. <laughs> you know what was? It? I think it was paranormal state where. The episode was about a kid that got shot and killed trick-or-treating a house. And apparently it was a real event, but yeah, just, just, just drama it up. All right. We got one more on here. Misty, tell us about the dead files. Okay. So what it is is you have a psychic and you have supposedly a retired NYPD investigator 
And what they do is the psychic will go to the house, just her and a cameraman, and they'll record her walkthrough of the house for her to get her so-called psychic impressions. Separately, and they do not supposedly talk during the investigations, the retired investigator will go and investigate the history and talk to witnesses and things like that. And then at the end of the show, they'll get together and see where they compare or differ. In essence, it sounds kind of like a good idea, but of course, it's always dramatic. Oh, my God, that's exactly the person I saw. Oh, that's what I thought happened, blah, blah, blah. But what's really bad about it is you want to talk about the overdramatic acting, the psychic girl that they supposedly have. It's ridiculous. She'll, she'll like, fake accents. She'll start trembling. She'll, like, get weak and fall down, and it's... That's one of the shows I can also do. As much as I like paranormal shows, I cannot watch that show. Really? I'll have to check it out. <laughs> yeah, it comes on, um, oh, I can't remember what channel it is. Oh, Travel Channel. Is what it oh, really? There are tons more of them out there. The scariest part, I think, is we've only touched on some of the more popular ones, it seems. There are tons of these shows out there, and there seems to be more and more and more and more every time I turn around. I'm surprised you guys didn't bring up Ghost Adventures. Uh, I missed that one, too. Yeah, yeah that, there's that so one. many. I, I mean, you, we could seriously have made... I, I could have come up with a list of about 50, probably, if I really wanted to. But I, well, I picked, you know... The other problem I had with a lot of these shows, and it, and this probably goes back to what Legend Quest guy was doing, is that they, they go into these places that people will tell them an anecdote about somebody who died there or something like that, and they take that on face value. Where other investigators, when they go in there, that's the first thing that they that they start looking at is, is what this person's saying? Did this person actually live here? Did this person actually die here? And um, a lot of times you find out that they didn't, that, that those um, stories are just legends. So that's another problem yeah. with these shows is that they really aren't – they don't have – and they probably don't have the time either to do a proper investigation. I mean they, they, they're they're putting these things out like a mill anymore. Well, each one of them – well, I don't know. I haven't seen all the ones that you guys listed, but most of them like Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, The Dead Files, they will show clips of them being at a library or something like that, speaking to a historian or a librarian, supposedly getting the information. But of course, you and I know with the magic of video editing, they're probably just putting together exactly what they want on the show. Right. So it could be exposed that what they're looking for really isn't true, but they're going to clip what they want. So. <laughs> well, And let's face it, even if they do find out that little Joey was killed on the same night that everyone reported, um, so... Like, do you really want to spend your time doing that kind of investigation for something that doesn't matter anyway? No, and that's – I guess that is kind of what the the whole point of all this is, is that these shows are entertainment, and we yeah. shouldn't really expect them to be real. I think one of the reasons that we do is because TAP started out being a real investigations group, and of course now what they're doing is completely opposite of what they started out doing before they got their TV show. Well, they weren't able to buy a haunted hotel when they were just in a group out east. So, you right. know, they, they got their benefit out of it. But, yeah, it's it's there's an underlying need in the psyche of our culture that they're satisfying, apparently. And it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, you know, spiritualism has been around since the late 1800s and you have different forms of it all throughout history. So, yeah, we want to believe that there is something more out there. We want very much to believe that there is that there is life after death, that there's something that comes after this life. Now, even if it's 
life is a ghost haunting, it proves that we don't end. Right. Well, that's what you hope yeah. it proves. Yeah. Right. Well, it, that's what, yeah, that's what they, if there is life after death, it proves that we don't just end. It proves that we don't just become meat rotting in the ground and everything that we've learned is nothing. Right. But, but even if we can prove that there are ghosts, does it prove what you're talking about? Do we know that those no. groups used to, ghosts used to be living people? No. But that's don't. the assumption, isn't it? That's the assumption. Yeah. But, you know, ghosts could easily just be an impression upon a place that happens to repeat under certain circumstances, like a recording. Right. If we could ever verify that that was actually happening. If. And that, yeah. So, yeah. So, they're fun. You know, I mentioned that, uh, I mentioned that Death of a Ghost Hunter movie. And my I love that movie. You've seen that? Yes. Of course I have. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I, I sorrow for you. But it's possible that it's possible that you saw it with a different eyes than than my wife and I did. Um, our podcast on that is coming out next, like next Monday, so it'll be coming out on the heels of this one. All right. Have you seen the Death Tunnel? That's another one that's good. It's a ghost. I have not movie. seen the Death Tunnel. We did see a movie called The Innkeepers, however. We rented that off of Redbox. Saw that one. You saw that one. Yes. I see all these horror movies like this. That's, that's my job. In life. Let me ask you one more question. Why so, is it Why is it that every single one of these shows learned to use cameras from the Blair Witch Project? Well, it's kind of the investigative technique. <laughs> to make I everything plausible. I've never been on a goat right. hunt, but that's right. But they that's do. What but they the, do. one thing that they're doing, though, and I think is intentional, is that they're making this as claustrophobic as possible. Yeah. yeah. And they like to use the effects where you're looking at a guy who's can't, who the camera appears to be like mounted to his chest <laughs> yes. and he's whipping his head back and forth. And you can see the background <laughs> moving behind him. So it's dizzying and it's intended yeah. to upset. Well, you guys remember MTV Fear? This, no. that started no. way really before any of these ghost hunting shows. Really? No, I don't remember. And they used it. to do that. They had that point of view camera that was attached to the person and it focused on their face. And you couldn't see anything that was happening around them. You just saw their reaction. And in all honesty, I think it would be better to have that and outside cameras so that you could see if anybody was talking or whatever at the time that they supposedly hear something. Right. But right. Well, that's, a combination. that's the other thing I was wondering, because they do have a lot of times a cameraman that's following them to get those other shots. How often is it the cameraman making noise that they're reacting to? Well, On Ghost I've Hunters live about. shows? Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. You've actually caught the guy making noises and they try to quickly like move away right. from the area. So yeah, I've, I've heard, I've heard um, it's suggested very strongly that the cameraman actually does things to try to spook the people who he's filming also to get reactions, get real reactions out of them for the camera. Hmm. Yeah. The other thing that I have a problem with is that they would hear something and they're calling all everybody. Are you upstairs walking around? Are you upstairs walking around? But you don't, somebody isn't coordinating this so you know where the teams are at all times so that that isn't happening. Well, it's how many people they have on there to begin with. Yeah. There's too many people for most of these investigations and they should only have one, one, a small group in there at a time. But if you have two or three groups running around one facility at a time, you're going to be making noise that the other ones are going to be hearing that they think is ghosts. I think, that I think the perfect size group for, some, for one of these investigations is one professional ghost hunter, one videographer, one writer, and one crazy religious fanatic who's going to kill everybody. <laughs> no, no, no. It's two two males, two females, and a dog. Uh, Misty oh knows what God. I'm referring to. Misty knows what I'm referring to here. She's well, seen the 
No, I think it's important to have the crazy religious nut because how else can you go, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of here. Well, Ghost Hunters used to have a demonologist. Really? At the very beginning of the show, yeah. It was twins. They they were twins and they were demonologists. (laughs) So it was extra special. Now, see, I'm picturing one of them looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger and the other one looking like Danny DeVito now. All right. Do we have anything more to say well, about paranormal course. shows, or are we? Are we... <laughs> I'm just. I'm I just. I just wanted to share that yeah, uh, on Friday I went out to. Um, there's a ghost hunting meetup that I belonged to just for uh, kick. And I mentioned this, I think, on the last uh, the the schedule coming up that they were having a ghost hunting 101 class. And Missy, right. I wanted to see if you knew these people. Full Moon Explorations. Do you know them? Yes. Yeah. Very so well. they put on this. And- yeah, well, Go other ahead. people created the Denver Ghost Hunters meetup that you're talking about. Yeah, so I, I went. It was like 15 bucks, and you know, it it was something to do that was very different on a Friday night. So we went. It was just two hours of of telling stories and listening to really poor EVPs that you know you can only hear if you're primed with you know. And here he says danger, and then right. you're like. Yeah, I kind of hear danger out of that. I would have heard just nothing if you hadn't told me. But right. um, but it was it was fun, and it's it's all the same kind of stuff. But I really find amusing, and I think most of these shows do the same thing. Is they'll all everybody else is faking it. Like they've got the real stuff, they're doing the real science. Everybody else that you see, that's all fake. And uh, and she even started the whole thing saying, you know, there's some people who will just say that none of this stuff is paranormal and of course that's not true and other people will say that all of it's paranormal and obviously that's not true and the science is figuring out which ones really are true and which aren't so it was amusing i did yeah. not go in there and and be like the belligerent skeptic or anything like that i just kind of let them do their thing and just giggle oh, you know, fun. hey is um missy do you know i heard that chris moon stopped using the ghost box oh he still does on occasion oh um, does he yeah, like he goes to the Lizzie Borden house and whatnot, but it's not as big as it was before. And I think there were some, I, I don't know for certain, this is just conjecture, okay. that there were some legalities between the creator of the ghost box, which is Frank Sumption, yeah. and Chris Moon, um, because it, literally that's his whole claim to fame. And this guy that lives in Littleton created it. And Chris Moon has made a lot of money off of that. So if Frank Sumption went after him trying to make some money, I say more power to him um, <laughs> because it was his creation. So. Well, because for, um, Chris Moon was using it improperly. It wasn't to talk to ghosts. It was to talk to aliens. Well, it was either or, but for Sumption was contacting the aliens from the planet that he came from. He was the purple princess. <laughs> and it was his it was his home plant that he was contacting. Okay. That's the guy that created the Frank <laughs> He was the purple yeah. princess of this planet. Yes. And you can okay. go well, it might not be on there anymore, but you used to be able to go to his websites and hear the sessions and hear Somehow them I'm picturing yeah. this guy in a Japanese schoolgirl outfit now. <laughs> he actually he did work I don't know, it's been a while since I even paid attention to this guy, but he did work for Littleton School District. I don't know as what I think some type of computer administrator, but I'm not hundred percent certain. All I know is I have to rub my brain now. <laughs> All right. Anything else, guys? I, I'm I'm finished from my side. I'm just picking up things now. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're we're very derailed here. So, all right. Well, if there's if there's nothing else, uh, I think we're done for the evening. Do we need to announce anything, or did we, or did we get it all? Good. All right. Yep. All right. Well, then, uh, say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. 
For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to mindspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 